0: The Digested Read, by John Crace. Must You Go? My Life with Harold Pinter, by Antonia Fraser. 1975. I meet Harold and my sisters. Must you go, he asks, as I get up to leave. We talk until dawn. Harold, I am loopy about you. Me? I would make a very good secretary. Harold. The same thought had occurred to me. Harold sends me a poem. My darling Antonia, I just had to phone you. I am thrillingly in love, though it is terribly awkward, as I am happily married to Hugh, and Harold is happily married to Vivian, except when he is having affairs. Luckily... Our children, Orlando, Pericles, Immaculata and Stigmata, just want me to be happy. 1976. Take Harold to meet my uncle, the writer Anthony Pearl. Tony asks me if Harold is one of the Northumberland pinters. I shake my head. Oh, says Tony, before circling the table in a clockwise direction to pour himself another glass of port. Harold sends me another poem. My heart goes va when you walk in the room. His genius is irresistible. He and Hugh have a naked wrestling match in front of the fire while reciting Orlando Furioso, after which Hugh gives us his blessing to move in together. I am the hippiest woman alive. 1977 Harold and I have a long chat about money. Frankly, we are down to our last two castles, and we are flat broke. We open a bottle of champagne and go to dinner at the Connaught to cheer ourselves up. The phone rings. It is Melvin, Larry, Ralph and Trevor all calling to say Harold is a genius. I have to agree with them. We get home, and Harold recites Eliot. He does so, brilliantly. 1980. To Sissinghurst, where Harold learns bridge, confirming my theory he has a naturally brilliant brain. We then join Tom Stoppard for a game of cricket. Harold scores a scintillating one before writing me another poem. Your radiance divine is mine, all mine. If he wasn't such an outstanding playwright, they would have to make him poet laureate. 1982. I continue to beaver away at my little histories. Why, Harold creates his masterpieces in his super-study. He is in a furious temper because he can't make the second act of a kind of Alaska work. He says he can't write any more. I glance at his notes. Me. You really haven't lost it at all. Harold, that was my shopping list. 1985. Harold is in New York to direct a production of No Man's Land. He rings to say he has a slight cold. I can't bear the thought of him alone in his hotel room. How I long to mop his fevered brow. Luckily, he recovers and the reviews for the play are, of course, marvellous. He sends me another poem. Such beauty, such grace, the smile on your face. I really do think it's the best thing he's ever written. 1988. At some point in the last few years, it appears that Hugh and Vivian have both died. But I do not want to dwell on unhappy things. And Harold and I are both so very happy. We have Daniel Ortega and Vaclav Havel to dinner and are happy to hear both plan to stage the homecoming once democracy is restored to their countries. Salman is also present. His fatwa is too, too awful, but he is such a handsome man. 1995. Harold and I are the happiest we have ever been. Now Dada has finally accepted our marriage. Harold has decided to return to acting and is quite brilliant in betrayal. Jeremy Irons and Claire Bloom say it is terribly unfair. He should be the world's greatest actor as well as the world's greatest writer. I am the luckiest woman alive. 2005. Every theatre in the world is performing one of Harold's plays. It is no more than he deserves. Harold is increasingly angry about the war in Iraq and he sends me another poem of transcendent beauty. Without you at my feet, I am incomplete, just like the widows in Baghdad whose husbands have been murdered by that fucking war criminal Blair. So sweet. 2008. Despite filling the house with the scent of freesias, I am very, very unhappy. Harold is dying. He writes me one last poem. My heart is all yours, my death just a long pause. The digested reed, digested. Hark the herald, angels sing.